welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where we review and discuss movies, trailers, TV shows, and everything else pop culture. In today's conversation, we'll be catching up on Disney Plus's Star Wars series, Ahsoka. My name is Emmett, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and man who's caught them all, Ivan. All 96 out of 151. <laughs> for, for the listeners at home, uh, Ivan and I have been away for quite some time. We were just catching up, and somehow that devolved into doing a Sporkle quiz uh, to see who could name the most Pokemon in 15 minutes. And I got smoked. By just a bit. Just a bit. You know what? It, it For me, like always, uh, spelling is the thing that is my Achilles heel. Yeah, yeah, I think to, for me too. On a lot of these, like especially like the like lick a tongue and that kind of thing, like that really, I had such a hard time trying to spell it out for myself. It, it's upsetting because a lot of them just make sense, like they they sound and they spell like they sound, but a lot of them <laughs> don't. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm not gonna pretend though that I knew more than you because you you smoked me, but um, yeah, I I would just get hung up on some of the spelling on those. What was your what was your favorite starter Pokemon? Have we already discussed this? My favorite start of all time? Oof. I mean, I always have a soft spot for Charmander just because like sure. that's like Once. the closest you get to a dragon from starters, you know? Yeah. You're teaching uh, that thing fly. You're yeah. I love it. But there is a um there's a fire type monkey that gets released. I forget what generation this is. And I think no, sorry, like, I'm talking OGs. Okay, okay, the OGs were talking Charmander, but if we're talking about all time, exist. it might be the Fire Monkey for me. But Fire Monkey, jeez, that game really got out of hand. <laughs> it was a well balanced game, though. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I did love having uh, Primeape on my team. Oh, that yeah. You catch him early, and then you you fight through uh, Brock's gym with him. Woo. Was you. that? Did you have to go beyond Pewter City into that cave to get him, or was that in the grass? No, it was in the grass next, like, where you would head towards the Final Four. You can catch him there. But he had a, like, high, like, he wasn't, like, necessarily... I, know, I was trained small. up enough to get him. I don't know what to tell oh. you. Oh, <laughs> okay. I can't spell him, but I can train him. I can only find <laughs> metapods in the tall grass. <laughs> this guy's just going hard in... in, in yeah, exactly. In gym. Oh, boy. Hey, man, it's been a while since we've caught up. It what? has. What have you been grinding, binging, oh. as the kids say? Oh, a lot, and also. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What, what, was it you, or was it maybe it was somebody me. else that recommended Mythic Quest to me? Um. Oh yeah, no, I talked on ends about that on this pod. Were you here for that? I, I well, I mean, <laughs> the man has never missed an episode. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm about halfway through, um, the current. Mythic Quest run, so I'm like halfway through season two, so halfway it's overall, so right? Yeah. Um, I'm just at the episode after once they did um CW's backstory. Yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> there's okay, so there's an episode early on, and for anybody like listen that hasn't um watched Mythic Quest, I highly recommend it. It's a great show. There's a period in the towards the end of the first season, I think, or maybe it's the beginning of the second one. I can't remember, but it's called um. I think Quiet Dark Death or something like that. It's 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 funny, but it's also so like so such a 180 from the yeah. show that you're watching up to that point. And I feel like that's the moment the show kind of hit Ted Lasso level for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it became a lot more like nuanced and stuff. So it it becomes aware of itself. It's mm-hmm. not just like a let's it starts off as let's make an entertaining show yeah, about a gaming company and that it really evolves into character development and, you know, actual topics. Yeah. Which I, I like that. It kind of took that like kind of office approach. Like the first season of the show felt like the office season one where like you get to know everybody on the surface level and like, it's, it's a lot of fun. And then season two, once we hit that episode, or maybe it's the end of season one, I don't remember. But um, that episode really changed things up for me. I feel like from then on, I had more of a appreciation for it because it could balance out humor and all. But I've been enjoying it. It's one of the things that I've been binging uh, the last couple weeks. 
Um, and I'm 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 excited to see more of it. I hope more of it comes out. I heard there's a spinoff coming out for it. Uh, I haven't done a lot of like research into that, but that definitely was um, something that really caught my attention recently. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you got onto it because it really deserves to be watched, and it's very in Rob McElhaney's style. I'm I'm I've been watching the second season of Welcome to Wrexham, and they kind of do a, they're filming a little similar to that show where um in that same sense where like CW had his own background story like that's kind of what all season 2 is for Welcome to Wrexham so far it's like they take one person within the organization or one fan or something like that and they film like a whole episode around them so it's less so about the team this season which is as a sports fan I kind of want more of the team but it is like a nice little narrative they're doing there Apple Plus, though, like, honestly, we talked about it before, but, like, some of the hidden gems of today are there. Yep, but there's not enough of them. They just have, they have hits, but they don't have a lot of stuff. Well, I think it's mainly because they're not getting a lot of attention to them. Like, I saw this article saying Mythic Quest is the best show you're not watching, and I think that that kind of perfectly encapsulates some of the stuff going on in Apple. Yeah. Beyond Ted Lasso, I feel like nobody's really shined a proper light on this uh, platform. Uh, mind you, I think there's stuff coming up, right? There's like the the morning show. There's um... well, that's been out for a while. And I feel like that was one of the first ones on that platform. But then a lot of new things came out that were better. And like Severance, hopefully, will come back. Yeah. The Harrison Ford show with shrinking. Uh, it's yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I, I thought that one's been really good, but like that, I feel like there's folks just sleeping on Apple Plus, and I, I don't, I like I. I'm going to take some time this weekend too, to also like watch something that I feel like maybe out of my lane too, just to kind of see if I'm maybe missing out something else. I heard but, hijack was good. I've heard that too. It's, it's been on like, it's been on my radar for a bit as well. I, I, I think it was like good in the sense of like a fun little drama to watch, but not good. in like, this is going to win awards or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's it's a really good like filler though for the for for the platform like a, and just another thing to kind of latch on latch onto on there. Um, I have been giving Invasion another shot and I finally finished it also on Apple Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be honest, I like the story, but there's episodes where it just you know it's a bit too filler and for something where like I'm really a big fan of and I'll stomach it, but I feel like it's hard to to get through some of these. Like It's one of those where like it's an ensemble, but there's A, B, C, and D stories, and they're all different characters living these scenarios out. I'll be honest, half of the cast I don't really care for, because I feel like it's just unnecessary kind of petty drama-ish. But then like there's the other half that kind of carries the show, <laughs> where I'm like, I can't fully give up on it, because it's half of it is genius, the other half is kind of dull. Yeah, I haven't given that one a try, but maybe I will. There's Every other so episode is good. Uh, is that it? Anything else on the wall? How many walls are you building? That's it. That's okay. all the walls. As a Mexican, that's all the walls I should build. <laughs> <laughs> You're in charge of building it. <laughs> um, there's one thing I wanted to talk to you about, because I feel like we never really gave this attention, other than when it very first came out. So I recently watched the... Uh, assembled series of the Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Volume Three. I feel like we talked about this back when like WandaVision came out because that was among some of the first shows we we watched and talked about on the pod. I just feel like this series is such a miss. Like it used to be so good. Like I really looked forward to it. Like the making of WandaVision was great. The Falcon and Winter Soldier narrative of the directors was really well done. Loki was interesting. But then once the movies and like the shows started getting worse, the assembled also got worse. I don't know if that's because I can't remove the bias of like I didn't like this movie. So I'm not really gonna care as much about the behind the scenes and like the director choices. But I also think if I do attempt to try and remove some of that bias, it's like the directors at this point should know that 
they have like highly memeable moments or it didn't have the greatest fan reviews and they should use this platform kind of like Filoni does where he, ex- he dumbs down the plot and explains it for people that missed the mark. And it's not going to save the movie, but it could at least explain it. I think that's the difference between the Marvel team right now and and the the Star Wars brand. Because I think, um, you know, I'm a little disappointed in the Star Wars behind the scenes stuff only because it should be a series the way it was in the beginning. But that being said, the, what, hour and a half that these things net out to be for the Star Wars stuff is always, like, really, really good. To me, at least, I feel like it gives me just enough technical insight into things. Yeah, and, it's but it's that balance. I think that the ones for the Star Wars stuff, though, people seem to talk about it so like enthusiastically, like they're like, like, oh, I'm living my dream doing this, and this is what's you know, this is what I like about it. This is what, what my work is. This is how I explain it. Well, they address like the three important fronts, like the technical aspect, like talking to us about what's that place called, like the dome or whatever. Yeah, the the screen, the the uh, the digital um, what you call it, the stage Shoot. that they've built, the stage, right? Yeah. Like, uh, they talk about that. They talk about they have Filoni go off for a little while about like why this plot makes sense and like why the arc, like how it fits in the in the grand scheme of the universe. And then they also give you the actors talking about their roles and like what they brought to it. That's what these series should be about. Yeah. But, I don't know. Have you watched like any of the recent ones, like the Guardians one, or I skipped Ant Man and the Wasp Quantumanium. Like I, I couldn't do it. But have you watched any of the recent ones? The last one I saw, I believe, was the one tied to, um, I think it was the the Ant Man and the Wasp one because it, it came out late, okay. but it came out I think last month or something like that. Uh, yeah, July this year. It was kind of soulless, honestly. <laughs> right. And it's like, yeah. I don't know if it's because the movie's so bad, but I would prefer if they just took that time to be like, here's why these decisions were made and explain how it fits within that Ant-Man universe. And I don't think they do that. Like the Guardians was more of a love letter to a trilogy that was coming to an end and less so about like, here's this thread that we've constantly been pulling on and why it all makes sense. Like, they didn't do that. So to me, it's like I'm still puzzled that this became Rocket's movie when it was like this has been Peter Quill's story for two movies and you have a heavy hitter actor. <laughs> right? Yeah, I think it definitely like it's the platform to court not to course correct, because obviously that's within the film, but like to at least address some of those concerns. And and again, like I like for that that WandaVision episode, right? They took a whole 25 minutes to talk about the music and what they won about like choosing the category of music and all that. But they, it seemed like they had a lot of fun with it. And I equate that to the full episode they dedicated in the Mando, the first season one, to Ludwig Göransson when he was talking about like the inspirations and how he came up with the sounds for the music and like what he drew upon. And so it seemed like people loving what they're doing explaining what they love and like it just kind of gets me as a viewer more like it catches my attention i i care more about what they're saying uh versus it becoming essentially just like generic pr for the company which is it seems like the marvel stuff that's what it is yeah i think you just hit it exactly there i think that's what it's become for some of these where it's it's either a box that they have to check like we have to give them content so we'll just throw some deleted scenes and behind the scenes together and put it out there or it's let's promote our movie a little bit more and it's less so about the art which is not i'm not saying like marvel movies are the most artistic but when i don't know when you have almost 30 of these things talk about how it fits in the grand scheme a little bit but some of them are though and that's the thing like for example all you can take all the spider-man movies and match them to 16 candles breakfast club some like a lot of thematic themes come upon it john watts the director of all three that's what he drew upon right if you if you watch the behind the scenes stuff which is not on disney plus uh for these it's it's great it's amazing stuff and but you can tell that somebody worked on it that's proud of it and that really right. really like right. the, the others feel so manufactured and i think it's part of the reason why marvel's been suffering right now is because they're not 
giving it their A game. They're more so like, let's pump these out for the sake of pumping these out. Yeah. Yeah. So that was on my on my list of things I've been catching up on and thinking about among a bunch of other shows as well. But um, I will do a quick plug for if you haven't gotten back into Wheel of Time on Prime season two, it's where it's at. I forgot how good this show is. I got to get back into it, honestly. I feel like I dropped it halfway through season one. <laughs> there's like probably like three or four of these. Matt, like there's a magician and there is a chosen one and they might be the same person. Like there's like three or four of these shows like Shadow and Bone, Witcher's kind of in that style. Uh, I think there was another one too. And then Wheel of Time. And it's like, how do you pick between these? I think this one's at the top of that list. I mean, Witcher's great. Obviously, I, the last season got a little weird, but um, and you're losing Cavill too, so I think it's hard to say that one's at the top. But the Wheel of Time really is. What I've seen of it, I think I, I've, I've enjoyed so far, so I definitely do need to get back into it. It's just like such a massive world-building show, and I don't. I, they draw a lot on the books, I'm assuming, because they're just throwing names out left and right, but. Um, even as like a non-reader of it, I, I think I can keep up with most of it without any hesitations. And I think they're running full steam ahead now that the we're recording this on the 28th of September, but the, the writer's strike literally just finished two days ago. So hopefully this means we got Woo! more content. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's. I I hope they can get this wheel of time spinning back up again. You know. No, we need and, to break uh-huh. the wheel. <laughs> Pull a Daenerys. Break, breaker of chains. <laughs> all right so that's enough uh jibber jabber right we're good to go we got a yeah. lot to catch up on we have episodes five six and seven and we haven't spoken that much about these <laughs> 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 yeah so why don't we do you want to do episode by episode or how do you want to do no this? no let's just talk about it as a cluster because honestly i feel like i'm gonna forget what happened in each specific episode i know i'm gonna try and remind myself on some of these I think the where we left off, we left off on part four when Ahsoka uh, gets defeated and Sabine decides to go with um, Balin's scroll. Yes. So and... obviously the next episode, I mean, we don't have to go in episode order, but this is like the biggest episode I think we ever have seen with Ahsoka going to the world beyond worlds. Yes. And... <laughs> we could talk this whole time on just this episode. Yeah. It's so freaking good. I like I think first off, I think I was amazed by what they were able to pull off live action wise. Um mind you, I feel like Hayden Christensen it was kind of like a weird thing here and there visually where they were like, let's de-age him in this scene, but not in this one. And it kind of threw me off a little bit, but um love the performances, love that they got him back. For this for this part um i love this whole redemption cycle i guess of things that they're kind of having him on between bringing him back in for kenobi and now this i feel like the guy's on the roll right now in terms of like celebrating his uh his role of anakin which i think is probably the best thing he's done in his career um well from a relevancy standpoint but uh yeah i think um there's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot to take in. I first off, off the top of my list, I love that they gave us Clone Wars in live action, even if just a yep. little touch of it. But they just gave us just enough and didn't linger too much on it. It didn't become a crutch for the show. My biggest fear for Episode Five, honestly, was that we were just going to do a big flashback and that's all it was, and we were gonna have to wait until the following week to keep the story going. And thankfully, it did not do that. It balanced that out pretty well although selfishly i would have loved to have the full episode be you know clone wars flash right <laughs> yeah i think i might have texted you about this right after it because i don't know we watched this like first thing on wednesday mornings and then we text each other all all wednesday morning about it um but yeah i i think it was like there, there was a couple notes i had from this it's this is the episode where it pays off for everybody, every fan watching, where if you were a Clone Wars fan or and a Rebels fan, this is right up your alley because you know exactly what's going on. You you get to like see what was in animated and live action, and it's 
it's amazing. It's it's unbelievable that it actually got to happen. But it's also for those fans that like didn't watch seasons of Clone Wars and understand like there's a huge gap between Attack of the Clones the movie and um Revenge of the Sith. There's a huge gap in Hayden Christensen's character arc that you don't really understand like how does this guy go bad? But it's like it's this episode alone just teaches you that he's viewing the Jedi as warriors, not as keepers of the peace. Cause it's a totally different time. And he just, you know, kind of goes off the deep end of trying to protect everyone he loves. And he forms these attachments and you get that in such a short episode. The young actress that they got to play young Ahsoka. She's and, having a year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's everywhere right now, <laughs> including yeah. Barbie. Um, no, but like I think she did a phenomenal job. I think it's uh, Ariana Greenblatt is her name. Um, I thought for one, like I think the having the visual of Ahsoka like being at the age she's supposed to be at the end of Clone Wars, number one, a, a bit like visually like a shakeup, right? Because I feel like you kind of take for granted the animation style and all that. But when it comes to live action, yeah, she was pretty substantially young when she was charged with going to take down Maul. <laughs> It's literally um, child soldiers that, like, yeah. you don't think about that, especially in animated, because they make her look older. I mean, well, however yeah. old a, a cartoon can look, right? But, like, you're at, you're absolutely right on that. You, you lose something in animated that you gain in this live-action format. I love that they got my boy Captain Rex up in there, even if for a, a few, few seconds of time, but you got him in his first armor and the second armor. Um, which fans were oddly annoyed at for his like elbow pads being off or something like that. <laughs> I noticed that. I thought it was funny. I I didn't really like it, you know, irritated by it or anything. I thought it was hilarious. My, I did find it an odd choice that the publicity uh, team decided to use that same shot for his posters. Um, but again, I'm, it's like I'm a minor freaking thing. On one hand, I get it, where it's like. If this is your job to do the costume, you should be studying your your butt off and just watching every Clone Wars thing. And it's like you should have printouts of that and you should be replicating it in real life. But on the other hand, like as a as a viewer, just zoom out and watch and appreciate the plot <laughs> and the character development. You don't have to critique that like the elbow pads are 90 degrees twisted in the wrong direction. Like move on, people. Yeah, I think people get too hung up on those kind of details. Honestly, I liked I liked the fact that it was even included because it, it was in passing. It wasn't like a big focus on it. It'd be different if it's like the whole shoot, right? They had his elbow pads in the wrong direction. All that. Then in that case, it's glaringly obvious. But again, it's not like he was a big principal role in these particular scenes. Um, but it the the inclusion of him, I think, serves. <clears throat> the wider purpose of, you know, like these are the people that she grew up with. You know, these are the clones that she was uh, growing up with, the people she went through all these traumas with, essentially. And the fact that, like, you flash forward to her time now and those people are gone. It's just her, you know, like, it also highlights that differentiation between the lighter toned Clone Wars version of Ahsoka to, like, the more stoic and you know, kind of, like I guess, like, battle-worn Ahsoka that we see at the start of this series. Yeah, the other the other thing in this uh, episode that I would want to call out, too, is one of Anakin's lines about legacy, which I think answers the question for some folks who are like, why did Ahsoka get her own series, and who is she? But when you look at, like, their lineage of training of, of Master and Apprentices, it's all the heavy hitters. Like she got trained by Anakin, who was trained by Obi Wan, who was trained by Qui Gon, who was trained by Count Dooku, who was trained by Yoda. Like this is just like the A list tier that you can be on as a Jedi. Like that's why she has her own show because she comes from this lineage of the ultimate light with Obi Wan, who trains Luke, and you know the ultimate dark of Darth Vader and Count Dooku. It's like she's somewhere in the middle of all this and she even abandoned the Jedi order. Like there, there's so much involved in her story that it's like, I, I can't stand the arguments or the questioning of why did she get a show? It's also like 
this is one of those pieces of media that I think justifies a lot of, not justifies, I guess the wrong term, but like, you know, come brings into fruition the promise that I think Clone Wars kind of delivered on, which was the expansion of this universe, right? And I think this show is doing that for both Rebels and and for the Clone Wars show. Um, but yeah, the the she's part of a very unorthodox lineage. I think uh, one of the things that I really really appreciated about that whole lesson, because uh, there's a lot of debate as to whether she re- this was all in her head or if it was in the world between worlds. I was like, it clearly was the world between worlds, not just visually, but also because of that whole interaction with Jason on the on the shore, you know, listening yep. to the lightsabers crash. Yep. Obviously, it was. You know, it's. I don't think there's a question of that. Um, the thing that I really liked about this, though, is the fact that, you know, in the previous episode, you had Balin telling her what her legacy is, and that kind of boggles her down because you see that she's obviously carrying a lot of baggage with her, and so she kind of gets over it with with Anakin's help. With by the way, I loved watching Sith Anakin in his prime with the with the lightsaber blade turning red. Some of the most beautiful shots in the entire franchise, I think, were here. Yeah, yeah, those like little cuts of like him dressed as vader throwing in his his um his soundtrack over it as well like at different moments it was perfectly done i love the shot where he's like marching with the clones to battle then yep. transition into vader with the stormtroopers and then out and back again and i was like okay that like that some of the best visuals that we've seen not just in the show but in, in the franchise but, but I, I think it, that moment also is like pretty cathartic for Ahsoka in her journey coming back. Of she like if you watched Clone Wars, you know that she blames herself a lot for Anakin going to the dark side because she left, she abandoned him. Yeah. But this is a moment where it's like, oh, the the monster was kind of always within. Yeah, yeah. She realizes that that was always going to be the traject the trajectory for it. But also, like to Anakin's point. He, you know, he's more than that, and so you know, it, it became a full circle moment for him with, with with Luke. I love the little callback to for uh, the original trilogy where she says she's not going to fight him. He's like, "Oh, I've heard that before," which is a like a line from Return of the Jedi with him. Yeah. So, like, that's what solidified for me. I'm like, okay, this is Anakin. It's not just a you know, it's in her head kind of moment. imagination. Yeah. But I, I love the visuals for the world between worlds. It's clearly like some so there were some folks that were like upset that like she didn't go through some portal or something to get there. But oh, move on. I know. And also like for one, she's super connected to it because number one, she was revived with the daughter's soul, right? In in Clone Wars and that whole Mortis arc, number one. And number two, she got essentially saved the second time in the world between worlds. So she has a connection to this place. It's not like It'd be different if some other character, like all of a sudden, finds himself transported there. Okay, then that could maybe see some of the arguments, but it doesn't all have to play out so linearly, you know. Like I feel like folks kind of yeah. get caught up in that, in those details too much, and I'm just like, you got to suspend some of that belief too. And you just have to allow them to progress the story. Like you're you're talking about a magical place that is shrouded in mystery. Like she's allowed to get there by just landing there and not going through a portal like <laughs> you're allowed like just let it happen i do love the moment then when she gets out of the out of the water and she has her gandalf the gray into gandalf the white moment <laughs> yo I, I saw that meme where she fights on a bridge and so does gandalf as a gray warrior yeah. comes back <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> i think it's fully intentional though knowing like dave filoni's yeah. like tolkien Fan, uh, fanaticism, but uh, I, I love her new fit, <laughs> her new white robes. Unlockable edit style in Fortnite now. They, they, well, is it? I don't know. It should be. Oh, it should be if it's not. Yeah. <laughs> we should go hop on Fortnite now. Honestly, yes. Let's cut this short. <laughs> no, um, we have so many, we've so, many, so much more. I mean, there's, there's so much more in this episode. We do have to move on to get to the rest of the stuff, but uh, you brought up Jason connecting to the yes. force and hearing the lightsabers it is a little odd that he's able to teach hera how to do it but i think that's what they're trying to go for with this series of everyone's connected to the force in some way they just have to like be willing to commune with it which is i don't know how i feel about that i kind of feel like it was always like there are those that are in tune with it 
that just need to be taught, you know, how to wield it. And then there's those that just don't have any connection to it. I think there's an old like interview with with George Lucas where he talked about how his intention was that it was open to everybody. It's just that it manifests differently with everybody. So like you could be really adept at the force, but you're a pilot. So that's the way that it you know you have that supernatural thing with it. Um, I don't know if I because I had to watch that scene back a couple of times when Jason and and Hera are listening to the waves. And she's always kind of like looking at him to the side. So I kind of took it to mean that she's not hearing it, but we're hearing it through through Jason. And so she's kind of like taking his word for it, essentially. Um, but because she, be. she she clearly yeah. knows that he's like force sensitive. Sensitive, yeah. And I get the feeling just from some of the like facial expressions and all that, that she's got that little bit of apprehension of like, I don't want this kid to become a Jedi because look what happens to all the Jedi I do know. You know, so, but it was great. I think it was a great moment for to build up Jason, and I think, uh, you know, I think kid characters are kind of complicated sometimes, right? Because it could become a little bit overbearing. I like the way that they're dealing with um, with Jason's story here, though. Like they're giving him just enough of a role to make him important, but not the centerpiece of the story. Do you know what happens to him after this show? I don't. This is like. Uncharted territory. Because I, I do. Oh, oh. <laughs> Hera, Hera sends him to Luke's. Oh no, no. <laughs> so short story. <laughs> she better not. <laughs> That's a bummer. There's a psycho killing Ben Skywalker out there. Oh, ben, he, ben Solo. What if Jason's was always one of those like Kylo Ren? Uh, oh, the knights. Friends, the knights of Ren. I don't think he is. We never saw him without a mask, and That's never saw true. him in the same room. So That's true. I don't know. There might <laughs> no, be no body, green, no death. There might be some green hair under the uh, <laughs> helmet. Uh, anything else on episode? Uh, what was that? Five. Uh, no, I think I like the bits with uh, Carson Tabor and Hera. Although I feel like we I get more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That guy's do... annoying. Get get rid of him. Get rid of him. Get him <laughs> out of here. Um, I do like the, the the use of the space whales again, and like Ahsoka having that epiphany where she's like, "Oh, I think we could probably, you know, make use of the whales that transported Ezra over to the uncharted w- worlds." Was that in this one, or is that in the next one? No, that That's wasn't this one. one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because that was also pretty wild. Yeah, I, but I do like that. Like once she comes back out with her white robes and all that, obviously, like for lack of a better term, born again, Ahsoka, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, she's got like new confidence. Yeah, her faith rejuvenated and all that. She she's cracking a few more jokes now. She's a little bit more loose. You know, she's getting a little bit closer to the Clone Wars and Rebels Ahsoka that people were kind of like moaning about, like <laughs> you know, not 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 having at the beginning of the show. But I think um, the surprising thing too is like that plays out in the end of that episode and then throughout the next two is that she isn't, you know, resenting Sabine's choices or holding it against her. I mean, she does question it in one second, but like, um, Hu Yang kind of reminds her like maybe that was the only choice she felt in that moment, and like she, I don't know. I think Ahsoka really takes on that master role of that's my apprentice and she's going through stuff the same way I went through stuff at that age. So I need to be more open to it. Yeah, she definitely took it a lot better than I feel like she probably would have if she hadn't had that world between worlds experience too. Yeah. Um, but I like I like the dynamic between her and Hu Yang and I feel like that episode highlighted it even more. Um, I you... wonder how long they've been together though. Forever, man. No. Well, the whole time, the whole, the whole. Where was he in Rebels? Forever <laughs> and ever. Well, was he not the droid that helped all the little, the younglings build their lightsaber when they went to the crystal mission? In Clone Wars, yeah, but like we yeah. didn't see him in Rebels at all. So that's why I'm like during that Ram, period, like, did she find? Thing. When did she find him though? Like, I'd like to know. Is that is that essential? I just like it's just. We need a full episode on background. That's that's what the finale should be. It'd be a cool uh, what what are your what are your thoughts on like I don't know if you've seen this meme, but it's going around a lot of Anakin's finally achieved the power to save the ones he loves from dying because Ahsoka didn't die from falling on the cliff. Like 
I'm not, I didn't read it into that. I feel like that's maybe know, reading right? too much into it. I, I think it's just like people wanting to come up with like a clicky, clickbait, uh, Instagram short or something like that. But it's just like Palpatine didn't help Anakin achieve this. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's it's a. I mean, if it makes people feel better, sure. But I feel like it that's, it is. It is weird that she didn't drown in the in the water. Then again, like I said, I feel like she physically went to the world between worlds. Yeah, and then no, I, I agree with that. Yeah, but I also don't think Anakin gave her the lessons of like, I, I will help you from dying. I will save you. I think that was her. I think in, uh, it's tough because like I don't. Th- I think she went there, but I don't think he was there. I think she was fighting who she projected to be there. Yeah, I don't... I, f- I feel like that is Anakin, but I don't, like... In the context of physically saving her, I don't think he did. I don't think he can take credit for saving her necessarily. I think she, like, saved herself through going through that journey. Yeah, but I do feel like that was legit Anakin kind of guiding her through getting rid of some of the baggage that she had. But I think beyond that, I don't think he, you can really, like, say that... He, takes credit for saving her from death i feel like yeah that's a bit of a stretch that's like that's a little bit too much you know reading into the weeds with it right all right let's let's move on so uh finally in star wars we've gotten the far far away to apply (laughs) to these people as well (laughs) they are going to a new galaxy did you ever think you'd see that day Honestly, I saw there was a promo a couple of weeks ago with Hu Yang saying a long time ago in the galaxy far, far away, but like really like slow and melancholy a bit. I love that promo just because like that those words coming out of David Tennant sounded really like like somebody's about to read you a good book, you know. So yeah. I I'd like that in the context it was given, you know, he's telling a story. Um, beyond that, it was close to he said the line kind of moment, you know. He said the title of the movie kind of thing. Right. He did the thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, this episode, I I really don't want to be the person that's always like the newest one's the best one. <laughs> but this show really pushes that boundary because it just keeps getting better. And like bringing Thrawn back is just the cherry on top of this. That voice. I'm glad that... Um... Mickelson is back to to portray yeah. him because not only the voice but like the acting he played um the villain for Sherlock Holmes in the the movies with uh RDJ uh yeah no did he or was it RDJ or was it um what's his name the other one the guy that played Doctor Strange I'm forgetting his name for now Benedict Benedict Cumberbatch yeah I think he played the villain in those in those in the series or something like that oh was that him I think so, yeah. Okay. But, like, he always has this, like, very, like, grounded take on villains that, like, feel sinister, but also, like, like they're never losing their calm. And I think right. that's the scary thing of a villain like Thrawn. He's so calculated, and he's and he constantly comes out with the equation of, this is an acceptable loss, or this is, like, this is how we'll win. Like, it's so, and you know it's going to happen. He he knows exactly the the number of model Teslas that are going to be shipping. <laughs> He's career. not Elon Musk. I <laughs> he kind of gives me that vibe, though. <laughs> he does look like him, yes. Definitely a lot but, smarter than Elon, but, you know. I can't see Thrawn like... changing Twitter to X. <laughs> <laughs> but I can see him going to a subscription model. <laughs> I, he, that's the first thing he does. <laughs> Day one. An acceptable loss. <laughs> When he fires 20,000 employees, yeah. Uh, no, I I think this is a spot-on portrayal. And I, I, I love their casting they've been doing. Was he the voice actor for... Yes. Thrawn? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's spot-on. But it also is like, voice acting is one thing, but then actually bringing it to the screen, like the embodiment of it, it it's so perfect. And it, you really do get the chills when that um, super cruiser comes in and you see this... You know, the enemy has been restocking. Like, this is the story that we wanted for somehow Palpatine returned. Like, this is the story we want. Don't say somehow. Just bring us to there and say, and just show us that he's returned, you know? 
Yeah, like give us give us an actual meat on the bone. <laughs> um, I I love the introduction of the Night Sisters working with yeah. him. Um, I love the look of the Stormtroopers. Um, I will say one thing about these last two episodes of the show. The one character that kind of took a little bit of a dip for me was Sabine. I can't like, and it's mostly because of the like the character choices it, she's making. Is it her or is it the betrayal? And the and like not being honest with Ezra, like it's the choices, it's the character choices, it's yeah. like the portrayal, yeah, essentially. That's what it is. Not not that I don't like any of the performance, like no, it's just like I can't I for the life of me. Like I just I don't, don't remember disliking why. her in Rebels or in Clone Wars. Was she that bad at decision making? <laughs> I think season one Sabine was definitely like brash and reckless in Rebels, right? But like she she like when she took on a whole growth phase, which is why I feel like the decisions she's making in these last two episodes feel like a regression to season one, Sabine. Yeah. Which is my only critique about that in, in, in these two episodes. Like, that's the one thing that I have to say. It just doesn't necessarily click all that much to me. Now, that being said, I'm not getting hung up on it and being like, oh, like, this right. one thing is bringing it all down. No, but it's just, you know, a minor annoyance, I think, from a storytelling perspective. It's more so like... The story is okay. It's that we want it to go. We want her to be smarter. It's like yeah. you get these characters all the time. Like in Breaking Bad, like Walter White makes so many mistakes, and you're like, how is he still doing that? Like, learn from it. Don't go into business with guns. Like, you know, like it's not that you hate Walter White. You just hate that they made that choice. But you right. need that. You need that choice for the plot to continue moving. Yeah, it just feels the 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 choice makes. I mean, the events make sense. The choice seems inorganic, and I think that's what the the issue is with with Sabine. I think these last two, which again, I feel like I understand why she's making the choices from a narrative perspective, but from a character choice, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I also think that like this is cheesy, but I think they should have left it as what fans thought where Sabine and Ezra loved each other because that would drive you to make bad choices because you want to get back to the one that you love. Whereas they tried to go very clear that they looked at each other as brother and sister and it was a family thing and they wanted to find their family member. But it's like, that's not as strong motivation for, for her going to these extremes. Yeah, I mean, I guess one can make the argument that it depends, right, like, on the bond between family and stuff, on, like, what the hell, like, exactly how closely they were. I mean, I don't think, I mean, that's not to throw my siblings under the bus, but, like, I don't think I would risk Thrawn returning <laughs> for, for that. <laughs> uh, but but I'm just saying. Um, yeah, you have, you're risking him returning. You're offering yourself over as a prisoner for a situation that you will, that you know you will likely die from. Because you have a small, like, 1% chance of finding your friend or your sibling. Right. It, yeah, like, that's what makes it doesn't feel like a, a smart choice. Yeah, and I, I wish they would have, um, I don't know, kind of built up that decision a little bit. Yeah, and it's not, like, love doesn't equate to weakness of... Oh, she's just a a damsel who's in love and will do crazy and stupid things. It's, I think you can have a stronger metaphor of love will conquer all things and you know drive you to fight harder and fight longer. So, I I think that that was the only mark that they've missed that I would have left in there or purposely written in. You know, chances are now that we've spoken about this, they're going to become a little interesting in the last episode. Well, I know Filoni listens to our podcast. He's, <laughs> he's texting me take, all the time. Taking notes. <laughs> no, I, I love this whole... Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. The last two episodes, I think, have remained just as strong as the rest of the series. I'm baffled by how many people have responded negatively to the last one. Because, to be honest, I, I feel like they nailed Thrawn. The threat is there. The threat feels real. And I also yep. think that, you know, and I, and I want to talk about this real quick because I think um, I we'll get to re- reunion of Ezra and Sabine, but um, I think fandom in general 
is kind of getting a little impatient with getting answers to things, and I'm like, guys, you like, think the show's not over yet? Like, chill. <laughs> yeah. Like I remember episode two of this sh- series, people were like, "What are Ben and uh, what are um Shin and Balin's goals? Like, what are what do they want? They should have laid it all out. No, they shouldn't. <laughs> no, they shouldn't. You have to wait until the end of the freaking thing, <laughs> so that then you can realize what's going on. Right. You can't give it all away in the first episode, especially when you have so many different plots that you want to track. You have Ahsoka, you have Sabine, you have Ezra, you have um, Shin and Balin, you have Thrawn, you have the Magistrate. Like, you can't give it all up front. You have to let things play out. I just don't understand. Like, this last episode in particular... I've seen the criticism of like it being filler. I was like, at what point? Like, what are you talking about? Which which part of this episode was filler? It advanced the story. We had a decent number of lightsaber and blaster fights. We got to see Ezra in action again. Um, like you get the minefield with the whales. Yeah, you get like, the Ahsoka chased by Thrawn and being outsmarted. Yeah, I'm like, like, listen, lightsabers isn't all like, <laughs> right. you need for Star Wars, like. No, I w- I will say though that a stab wound from a lightsaber is getting weakened. Where it's yeah, what is this guy gonna survive now, or is that just for the main character? Like when she stabbed one of the marauders, like no, oh, that guy could survive that apparently <laughs> a stab to the chest. Yeah, I mean, I I'm not a big fan of that, especially when they overuse it twice. It's that, it's the back to tank, it's the Kenobi, it's too many, like, it takes away the seriousness of the situation where a main character might get killed. Yeah, they gotta do it differently. Like, I, the Count Dooku, Anakin, and Obi-Wan fight in Attack of the Clones, I think is a perfect example of how to do flesh wounds that don't injure but inhabilitate. Like, when, the way that Obi-Wan was taken out by Dooku is, like, he slid him across the shoulder, slid him across his waist or something. I think it was he, his leg, yeah, his quad. Yeah, they didn't chop Still, off yeah. any limbs yet, but he's out, you know? <laughs> right. Or chop a limb off, and it's like, okay, we'll go the Anakin route of yeah. replacing it with a robot arm, right? Like, that stuff has precedent, but getting stabbed in the gut or in the chest, like, that is not something you can recover from. It's, yeah. <laughs> like, did we see when Qui-Gon put his lightsaber inside the door in Phantom Menace? Like, that thing started melting. <laughs> like there has to be consequences to getting stabbed by a plasma sword. Well, it does cauterize the one. No, no, don't do that. <laughs> I'm so oh, yeah. sick of that argument. I, I do, I do agree with that. I do agree with that, and I think that we've just seen it way too often, way too quickly. Like it, it'd be different if like. Actually, no, it wouldn't be different. I would still be annoyed. <laughs> I would still be annoyed by it. Yeah. Um, that you know, it, but there's there's stuff that I feel like you know they're worth criticizing in the show, and then there's other stuff where I'm like, why are people like complaining about it? Like I saw, not to jump ahead, I guess too much, but like we're not really going linearly here. <laughs> um, the fight between Ezra and Shin, really yeah. briefly, people no, we're were about, ups- we're about there anyway. Yeah, people were upset that um. Ezra didn't take the lightsaber, and they're like, "Oh, they just did it so that Sabine could get her like big woman moment." I was like, "In in what no. did she have that moment? She did not have a moment like that." No. Number one. Yeah. Secondly, it makes sense. I mean, he just got told that she's been training. He has no idea how good or bad she is in it, but thinks maybe having it would keep her safe. And clearly, he's been more comfortable using the Force lately. So he has also been surviving without a lightsaber right up to this point why introduce a weapon that he hasn't been training with for a long time like yeah yes do i want to see him wield his green lightsaber again and like get back to action yes i want to see that and maybe we'll get that in this last episode where hu yang might help him build the lightsaber on this planet that'd be awesome but you don't need that moment where he takes away her defenses because he thinks he's stronger than her with it. Yeah, and also I feel like people were disappointed to see that he got a moment where he got taken out by Shin. 
the dude hasn't been fighting for over 10 years in lightsaber fighting. <laughs> he hasn't seen you... another human, yeah. Yeah. This Also, on a power level scale, this isn't supposed to be Luke. Like, I feel like we're right. people supposed to be like, oh, this is like God level tier Ezra no. Bridger. No, he's not. They want Ezra dead because they want all Jedi, the whole idea of Jedi to be gone. So that's why they're putting a bounty out on, on him. It's not because like, Oh, he's the second coming. If we bring him back with us, we're we're doomed out there. It's like, no, it was just one brash kid who came up with a suicide plan of use the purgle to bring Thrawn away. Like, it wasn't like such a calculated plan. That's what made it work. Yeah, and also I think people forget, like in Rebels, especially especially Rebels, like you look back on it, and Kanan and Ezra struggled against the Inquisitors. Oh, yeah. Who, like, the main characters don't struggle or sweat by. Like, we've seen Ahsoka take down Inquisitor, and it's like, it's nothing. Right. You know, Shan is clearly afraid of her and outmatched by her. Yeah. Um, so it, I, I just think that some folks, I think, are kind of caught up in certain moments where I feel like they think a certain way and the expectations appear, when in reality, the story does nothing to set your expectations that high. It's just playing up a story the way it should. Right. Is there anything else you want to talk on these episodes before we maybe talk uh, like a prediction or hopes for the ending? Um, the only thing I, the only other thing I wanted to bring up is, um, well, talking about Ezra a little bit, I phenomenal casting. Um, honestly, the dynamic he has with Sabine is almost ripped right out of Rebels. Yeah, very organic. Yeah, I I love the dialogue and all that. Every single moment they had, I think, felt organic. Um, but b- beyond that, what I've, what I've enjoyed about um, these episodes is the fact that I think between this series, the last Mando season, even Book of Boba Fett, all of this feels so interconnected seamlessly. Yep. I love that the original trilogy characters are getting mentioned. They don't have to be front and center, right? But we're acknowledging that they exist within this uh, network of time. I like the way that they're handling it. I think it's it, it's great. It it paves a good way that I feel like feels like MCU phase one and two, you know, like where, you know, everything's taking place around this time. Um, it's a delicate balance, though. And I think that they're they're really doing a, a great job at keeping us there and i think for the first not for the first time but like but like for i think this is peak star wars in like the longest time i think since mando up until now i think we're living in the golden age of star wars and i I do hope people are giving this show a chance and not just brushing it off because i don't know why people have such a big gripe (laughs) with disney star wars sometimes yeah i don't know if it's peak star wars but it certainly is a preferable plateau that we're on where it's not a letdown we had such high show hopes for all these shows and even at its worst like i don't know is andor the worst maybe but it's not bad like none of these shows have been a disappointment it might not be like your exact cup of tea because you're not familiar with some of the background stories but all in all like these shows just keep getting better and it's because they have one consistent person at the helm who says, nope, that doesn't make sense to fit into this universe. Or, yep, that's how we want to develop these characters. Yeah, the Filoni effect, I think, has been really good on, on this. And, and, and honestly, from a like, creative standpoint, I hope I hope they keep this kind of like guidance. Because it really helps. Like, uh, like the Kevin Feige situation over at Marvel, like, I hope he's able to go back into that position and not have so much corporate, you know, BS down, down his throat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, I've been enjoying Star Wars and I think that that's, I think a positive thing since, you know, I think the sequels, I, I like, I like some of the sequels. It, it's not like I hate the three movies. There's it's moments that, I think I like, I don't know if I like yeah. the whole movie, but I like the, you know, scenes from it or characters from it for sure. I like Force Awakens. I'll say that. Like, I there's Loved a reason. The, yep. the reason why I watched that movie like almost 20, 20 something times in the yeah. theaters. 
Um, Last Jedi, half of the movie I thought was great. The other half is I can do without. Rise of Skywalker, I think, is a jumbled mess with little gems here and there. You know, that, that yeah. that's what I feel like. So, but these things, like since from Mando to now, I think the Ahsoka finale has to be a disaster for me not to, I think, go the way that I think it's going to go. But I believe that this show might just be my favorite show out of the bunch so far. I would agree. Unless they fumble the bag really badly. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it's also, it's probably our favorite because we did invest time into Clone Wars and Rebels, and it does feel like a payoff because of that. I don't know if others will put it at the top. I'm guessing the casual fan who never watched animated will probably say, like, um, Andor was among their favorite because it's like a, ooh, that's a totally different take for Star Wars, and it's, you know, kind of this mystery and kind of like a western almost um so i could see fans picking different shows as their favorites but for for me and for you i think this is right at the top yeah i think there, like, there hasn't been those fillers there's no, no frog woman episode like mandalorian like there's no right episode that was like oh that's a side quest like this is all the quest it feels so smooth and like to the point and i think that that's that's saying something because we're in an era right now where that's not television as a whole sometimes so yeah props to them and i hope they continue it absolutely all right let's talk uh by the time this episode of ours comes out it'll probably be after the final episode of, of ahsoka so these predictions won't make sense if you've already seen it but um the one that i really want to talk there's like two that we need to talk about like one do they escape this other galaxy altogether do they all get stranded and have to figure out a way out in season two but the one i would want to talk more about is what is thrawn putting onto his ship because <laughs> he's been he's been stalling for time to load cargo on there but what could they be taking from this world that is of that much value um Night Sisters bodies. You think it's like uh, catacombs of? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because they said that that's exactly what they're emptying out is the catacombs. So I'm like, all right, well, what's in the catacomb? <laughs> the bodies. Oh, I missed that line. Then I thought yeah. it was like a, a mineral or a resource or something like that. Like I kind of was thinking kyber crystals. I mean, it could be. He could have something else that's like an ultimate weapon. But to me, I'm like, all right, they said catacombs. I'm thinking it's the bodies of the Night Sisters. Mm. Um, you remember in Clone Wars where they like revived them, and that's how they kind of formed their like Night Sister army. Yeah, and it would make sense why the Night Sisters would want to align with Thrawn because they view that as a way to make a comeback in the world. I do find it interesting how they're tying certain like elements out from other stuff, like. I know you haven't played it, but like if you ever get a chance to watch the cutscenes for it, the Jedi Fallen Order and Jedi Survivor that are supposed to take place around the time of Kenobi. Um, they're doing some digging into like the Night Sister lore. There's a character that's a that's a surviving Night Sister. Mm-hmm. Um, but the writings on the on the on the temple for that game are from this like ancient species called the Zepho or something. And the more you dig into the game and like do some of the side quests, you discover more about the, that species of aliens. But they're alluding to the fact that those were the first Force users that came from another galaxy. And so it seems like the deity that they worship in the game's lore is referenced in the writing of the temple that um, Thrawn is in, in uh, Peridia, I think the, the, the planet's name is. Yeah. So I wonder if I wonder two things. Number one, did did Thrawn maybe discover something within these catacombs that could be of use for him in the new gal in in our galaxy, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, is that deity maybe alive, and that's the power that's calling to Balin? Is that because like I'm confused as to what Balin wants to get out from this planet? Yeah, I've heard I've heard some rumors. Uh, I don't know if I want to put stock into them and talk about them, but yeah, I, I it's very mysterious what he's after, which is one thing I'm looking forward to learning about. But I also am like, maybe that's okay if we don't get his story fully 
fleshed out because if that you know cannibalizes time of Ahsoka versus Thrawn, I wouldn't really want to have to go down that route. Yeah, I, it's a shame that Ray Stevenson has passed away, and so they'll have to recast his role. But he's yeah, he's so phenomenal. It is upsetting that like he doesn't get to see how well he's being received because that's one role in this show that like nobody's disagreed on. Everyone loves him. I I love all the stuff that's come out with him, but yeah, I I, I don't think that they're gonna wrap up his story with the with the finale. I think you know something else is gonna happen there. Um, well, not even a wrap up, but like just may I I wonder if they show us the power that he's going after. I don't even think so. I think we're gonna get like a little bit of a hint finally as to what he's after, but I think that's gonna be whatever the because I refer back to like Skull and Hati, which are their last names, right? Those are the wolves that started Ragnarok. So my only thinking is like, all right, they have to trigger something that's gonna become a bigger issue down the road, and so. Like, this show, I think, to me, I wouldn't be surprised if the finale leaves us kind of, like, begging or needing a season two of this show. Oh, for sure. Because even if... I I, I imagine it's going to end somehow of Thrawn escaping and Ahsoka doing, like, an attachment to his ship and getting out with them. Like, they could, they could play the Purgle uh, card again, maybe. I don't know. But... I, I picture this ending with Thrawn for sure escaping and maybe it's left to Ahsoka and Ezra to figure out like how do we also get back. I have a slightly grimmer prediction. <laughs> you think someone's dying? No, I don't think anyone's Ahsoka. dying. Oh no. <laughs> Not, <Ahsoka>. show. <laughs> Not on your own show. <laughs> it's okay, it's a flesh wound. <laughs> I think Sabine and Ezra make it back. I, I don't think Ahsoka and Huyang make it out of the planet. I think they get stranded, and I think you know that'll be a whole thing. But mm. yeah, I think that's the grim ending uh, for this season. What if oh. Ezra's evil now in his time in oh. solitude? He's well, been trying to trap them here. His little chainmail thing is made out of stormtrooper. Um, <laughs> he may dog look tags. like Jesus, but he he might be a Judas. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> the twist. Have you seen those memes of like? I've seen uh, Moses. Yeah, I, I I like the one that was like, uh, what uh, what people think Jesus looks like, and it's Obi Wan, and then it's like, what is more <laughs> accurate? I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's probably... is Ezra. <laughs> I've seen those. Those little turtle people are adorable too. Oh my gosh, great alien species. Love the frying pan that was thrown at one of the troopers. <laughs> <laughs> they're like they're more useless than Ewoks, but almost somehow more adorable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have these little like them. pilgrim clothes on them too. <laughs> it's like Franklin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Why don't we wrap it up there, man? I think uh, we successfully BS'd our way through four up ep- three episodes of Mist, and then. Made predictions that will come out after the episodes aired. So yeah. <laughs> we'll come back, talk about the final one, and then we have a lot of other shows coming up. And we got Loki coming out soon. Oof, yeah, Loki's coming out. What else do we got coming up? The, the, I think the Marvels got delayed, right, until next year. Yeah, but Aquaman's going to be December, so Loki oh, will take us oh, right to Aquaman. Oh, Aquaman! So gotta, looking forward to Aquaman. Yeah, we got to do an Aquaman rewatch. Yep. If you get a chance, maybe it's out on Max already, but you should give Blue Beetle a chance. I'd like to kind of pick. Oh, is that out? I think you know, or because yeah, I I do want to watch that after your your praise. I just didn't want to pay fifteen dollars for it. If it's not on Max, I'd be surprised just because it's kind of it kind of bombed at the back at the box office. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. It looks like it is on the. I know what I'm doing this weekend. You should. Wait, what is going on here? Oh. I'm okay, learning like... how to use Max while on the pod. Yeah, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Whoa, what is this? <laughs> all right, let's get out of here. All right, well, to all our Ukraine listeners, <laughs> stay strong and th- thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening.